This is something, Clint kind of mentioned it, like this word is for you guys. Um, God told me probably a few months ago, I was looking ahead at the schedule, like what's coming up? And I was like, oh, Mother's Day. I should probably start thinking about that. And God dropped Elroy in my, in my mind. So we're going to get to what that means. Um, but about a week and a half ago, we're sitting at an art conference and I'm like, Oh, like in one of the sessions, I was like, that ah, Mother's Day is in 10 days. And like, God gave me Elroy, but I don't got much past that. Like, I'm going to need a little bit of direction, a little bit of where am I supposed to be going? Um, so God, like, if you could give me that, that would be great. And so at the end of that session, we were walking out and we saw a pastor who, um, he lives in pastors in San Francisco. And he walked into Paula Deen's at Opry Mills whenever we were there in November. And we were like, oh, hey, Pastor Sean, and struck up a conversation. And he paid for our dinner that night and we were like oh you know thank you so much that night but then when we saw him and we were walking by I was like I need to tell him what that meant so we walked up to him and I was like Pastor Sean you don't know this but a few weeks before that I sat down on my fireplace and told God that if something didn't change he needed to release me from this because I wanted to be done like I was I was over it and you and God had already worked and started changing our hearts but you paying for our dinner was like just a gift from God like hey I see you I'm with you I got a plan for you and he said yeah God saw you and I was like yeah, he did see us. And I'm like, oh, that's what I'm talking about. And then he goes, you know, Hagar said that. He, she called him the God who sees. And I was like, I do know that. I'm talking about that on Mother's Day. And he said, well, listen, here's a word for you. And like, gave me the message. So this is a word from God. And I don't say that lightly because I never want to come from like a position of power. Like this is a word from God, but like this is something that God wants Oasis Church to hear. So I'm super excited to share it with you guys. Um, so typically I would start with like a story, like, you know, get us all laughing on the same page, all that stuff. But we have a lot of story to cover in scripture today. So we are going to jump right in. Uh, like I mentioned, we are talking about Hagar. And if you're new to church, I would venture to guess that like you might not have ever heard of her. Um, and if you have been in church a long time, you're probably like, who is that? But she is a mom in the Bible. Um, like Clint said, this isn't necessarily a Mother's Day uh, message, but she is a mother. So before we talk about Hagar, we have to know who Abram and Sarai are. Uh, so Abram and Sarai later become Abraham and Sarah. God renames them. And they are the mother and father of the whole nation of Israel. And so this all happens before. So you're going to hear them as Abram and Sarai, but it's Abraham and Sarah. And so this all starts in Genesis chapter 12. So in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse one, it says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot and all his wealth and he headed for the land of Canaan. So, you know, you hear that like, man, you're going to make me into a great nation. That sounds like a really cool promise, something really cool that God's going to do. But in the chapter before, in chapter 11, we're introduced to like Abram's whole family. And the first and only thing said about his wife, Sarai, is that she was unable to get pregnant and had no children. So we're looking at a guy who's 75 years old, his wife who isn't that far behind him. And we know that up to this point that she's completely barren. But I love Abram's faith because he's like, yeah. 
okay, cool, sounds good, like let's go. He packs up and just goes. Um, and this is a, an aside that isn't really with the rest of the message, but I couldn't leave it out. I kept trying to take it out, but this is just something that I feel like I'm supposed to share with you guys. Um, in verse, in verse uh, I don't remember what verse it is, hold on. In verse two, nope, first one. He says, leave, God tells Abram to leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family. And Abram decides to bring Lot with him, who is his father's family. So he starts this whole thing not completely obedient, but he's like, well, I love my family. Lot doesn't have anybody else, so I'm going to take him with me. Um, but all Lot did was cause him strife. It just caused him strife the whole time. And I... I want you guys to know that when God tells you to leave something, even if it has been good in your life, if God tells you to leave it, it's no longer good for you. So I just want you guys, like somebody might need to hear that, that if God has told you to leave something, no matter how good it is, it's no longer good for you. And we get to be obedient to him. So that was just a free little tidbit today. Now let's go on. So we are fast forwarding 11 years. A lot of life has happened. There was actually a lot left and then Abram had to go save him because he like got captured by enemies. Like it was like a whole lot, a whole lot of lot. Um, so we're in chapter 16 now. And it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. So for 11 years, she still hadn't been able to bear children. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar so Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. So after 11 years, Sarai finally decides like, okay, I'm done. Like, I don't want to wait anymore. Clearly, like, I must have misheard God. Like, he said through me, but maybe he really meant, like, through me and Hagar can help him out. Like, let's just figure this out. And I think that a lot of us in this room have done that. Like, we've been trusting God for something, but it's not happening at the speed that we think it should. And so we're like, well, maybe I misheard him and maybe I can, like, you know, help him out and do something about it. But it always ends up bad. And this, you know, I'm not God, but this happened to me with my kids. So <laughs> I, our kids have an insane internal clock, like very punctual, especially when it comes to food, like breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, every day on the nose, it turns 11 and everyone's like, when's lunch? What are we having? And so there was one day a few years ago. Uh, so everybody was a couple years younger and I was sitting at the computer working. It turned 11. They stop what they're doing and they come in and they're like, what's for lunch? And I go, ah, I don't know. Give me 30 minutes. 1130 is a completely appropriate lunchtime. I'm like, give me 30 minutes and I will get back. Like, I'll go figure it out. It'll be fine. So they kept asking. They kept asking. They kept asking. And finally they stopped asking. And I was like, they finally decided to wait. Like, look at them learning to be patient. No, they did not. They did not learn that. Instead, they decided to, to make their own lunch. They went ahead and did it on their own. So I walk into the kitchen and there's peanut butter and jelly everywhere, everywhere, like all over the counter, on the floor, on the, the side of the fridge. Like they had it on their hands and they opened the fridge. It's like it's in the sink. Everything is out and like open and it's just chaos. And, I was, and they're all proudly eating their lunch. And I was like... Hey guys, 
you got to come clean this up. And you would have thought that I was asking them to throw their lunch away. Like they lost their minds. Like, ah! and I was like, hey, you guys were not patient. You did not wait for me to say what, like to do what I told you I was going to do. And now you have a mess to clean up. And that's exactly what we do. We do that all the time. We decide that we're going to help God and then it gets messed up. But we think like, maybe God just needs our help with this miracle, but he doesn't, he doesn't need our help. Um, but so Sarai had gotten to where that's what she was thinking. She was like, I'm just going to help him out. So, uh, hold on, hold on. Sorry. Okay. And what she proposes, like I read that and I'm like, I would never tell Clint to do that. Like I would just not have a kid the rest of my life before I asked Clint to do that. But in ancient times, like that wasn't that bizarre. Like it was actually kind of common practice that a slave would have a child for you, almost like a, like a surrogate, but they made it happen the old fashioned way. Um, and so obviously things don't go well because you're not supposed to have two wives. Like that's just like a typical rule of thumb. You should just have one wife. So the story goes on in chapter 16. So Hagar got pregnant, but when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. So Hagar gets pregnant and she basically just rubs it in Sarai's face. Um, and then I, I think it's hilarious that Sarai has the nerve to get angry at Abram. Like this was all her idea from the beginning. She was like, Hey, why don't you do this? But I feel like I've done this to Clint before. Like I've made a decision and like asked him to do it. And then it's messed up. And I'm like, man, I see y'all laughing. I, I've, I've done it. I've done it. So listen, like I get Sarai, I get it. Um, but then Abram didn't make it any better. Okay. He, it says, Abram replied, look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. He's basically like your slave, your problem, like go for it. So this is how Sarai decides to deal with the situation. Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. So it seems to me like Sarai didn't want to necessarily like fire Hagar, you know, and it makes me think of like, there's always, I hear these stories all the time about companies. It's like, you should probably just let people go. But instead of letting people go, they just make it so miserable for somebody to work there that they're like, I quit. And it saves the company severance, you know, like whatever. So that made me think of that. Like she just made it so miserable that, that Hagar was like, I got to go. This is not for me. So the story continues and this is where it gets really good. It says in, it starts 16 verse seven, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So Hagar hadn't chosen any of this for herself. She was put in, she was, a, she was taken from her country. She was a slave. 
She was forced to become pregnant. She didn't want any of this. And a lot of her life had been lonely, but at arguably the loneliest time of her life, God met her where she was and he spoke life into her soul. But there's a couple of extra cool facts that I want to make sure that you guys know before we move on. Um, So first, regularly in the Old Testament, the phrase angel of the Lord is used to describe a pre-incarnate Jesus appearing to people. And that's just fancy talk saying like Jesus before he became the man Jesus would appear to these people. And we can know that it is not a regular angel because he speaks whenever the angel of the Lord is referenced, he speaks with authority and in first person. Like in this, he says, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Angels don't have that authority. They don't get to decide those things. They're just messengers of God. So this is a pre-incarnate Jesus who is meeting Hagar And this is the very first time in the Bible that this happens. It happens several other times through the Old Testament, but this is the very first time, which I think is super cool. And this is also the only time in the entire Bible that the name of God, El Roy, is used. So El Roy means the God who sees. And this name has just been special to me. Um, As a mom, originally God brought it up to me because um, as a mom, I feel like a lot of what we do goes unseen. It's uh, lonely. It's hard. It feels sometimes like, does anybody even see this? Like, would any, not in like a desperate way, but like, why do I keep doing this? And so like, I, I, God has spoken that over me over and over again. Like, I see you, I see you, I see you. Um, but I think it's one of the most impactful names for anybody, not just moms. And because I think all of us have felt that way. We have felt overlooked. We felt unappreciated. We felt alone, like nobody cares, like nothing will ever be right again. But there's hope because God sees you. It's one of his names and God can't be anything but who he says he is. So if that's one of his names and he's told us that, it means you, it's true and you can hang on to it. Um, and you might be thinking like, what does it mean that God sees me? Uh, So I want to share three thoughts about what that means. First, God sees who you are. So in that story that we just read, when Abram and Sarai were talking about Hagar, they only referenced her in pronouns like she and her, or they said the slave or the servant. Like they didn't give her the, the love or the honor of calling her by her name. They just referred to her as the slave or the servant or her. But when Jesus came, his first word to her was Hagar. She was no longer the mistress. She was no longer the slave. She wasn't the unwanted pregnant woman, the scared mom. She was Hagar because she was with Jesus. And when we're in Christ, we have these names. We are forgiven. We're free. We're a child of God. We're a new creation. We are all of these things that God calls us and he names us. But so many times Satan convinces us that our names are our mistakes. Like we are unlovable. We're unwanted. We are a liar. We're a cheater. We are lazy. We are all of these things. And Satan convinces us that those are our names. That that's, and no matter if it's been spoken over you, P.S. This is another side. It's not even in my notes. Your words have the power of life or death. If you 
If you don't want somebody to think of themselves negatively, don't use words towards them. Talking about with your kids, with your friends, like don't make jokes about like, oh my gosh, you're so lazy or oh my gosh, you're so whatever, because your words have the power of life or death. And those words spoken over them can stick to them and they can cling to them and they can become this inner narrative that they tell themselves. So that, that was an aside, but it's so important. All of those names, whether they have been spoken over us or it's something that Satan pulls up inside of us that we call ourselves, any of them, they rob us of the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. But listen, there's a promise in Isaiah that it says that it's to everybody who serves Christ. It says, but in this coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. So when Satan accuses you of being somebody you're not, you have the power of Christ in you to go, no, that's not who I am. I am not broken. God is healing me. I am not unwanted. God died for me. There's, there's like, God calls you these names despite what you've done. Like you might have lied. You might have cheated. You might have made a million mistakes, but like it says in Romans that God died for us while we were still sinners. Like God isn't worried about that. He sees you for who you are in Christ and who you can be as you follow him. Um, you know, like you're a new creation. It says when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has, is gone and the new has come. So I want to challenge you guys this week to take some time and ask the Holy Spirit to show you the the names that you call yourself that aren't really who you are and then ask him to give you scripture to silence those voices um and if that sounds crazy or you're like I don't really know how to do that I'm happy to get coffee with you and we can talk about it because sometimes it takes other people speaking into it um just this last week one of my best friends was I was talking with her she's in Florida and she was like you know sometimes I just feel like nobody sees what I do or it's overlooked or I don't get noticed or appreciated. And um, I was like, well, funnily enough, I'm talking about that. But in that moment, God brought Galatians 6, 9 to me. And I told her, I was like, no, you don't grow tired of doing good because at the right time, God will bring you a harvest if you don't give up. And so now she, she was like, that's, that's it. That's my verse. And so now whenever she says, I'm oh, like when she hears I'm overlooked, she can go, no, I'm going to keep being faithful. I'm going to do the work of the Lord. God is responsible for the harvest, not me. Um, so God seeing you means that he sees who you are. God seeing you also means that he sees where you are. So Hagar had probably not heard much about God because um, she was an Egyptian slave. So she had grown up with Egyptian gods and all of that stuff. Not really, she didn't really know the one true God. And anything she knew of God, she learned from somebody who treated her so poorly that she ran away. So she probably didn't want a whole lot to do with God. Um, but God still met her right where she was because God wasn't waiting her, for her to believe in him. And he's not waiting for us to get everything together before he sees us. He's not waiting for us to get that habit under control or to break that addiction or to get out of that toxic relationship. He's not waiting for us to not have a single doubt about him. He's not waiting for you to, until your life is perfect. Like he sees you right where you are and he still wants that relationship with you. Um, there's, there's no checklist that you have to complete 
before God will see you. And um, while he's seeing you, he sees you in your difficult situations. He sees where you are when you're questioning him. Um, Month after month, when you're getting that negative test and you're just waiting for the baby, he sees you struggling with your job and wondering what am I supposed to do next? He sees your health struggles. He sees you wrestling with anxiety and depression. He sees you cry when you're by yourself. He sees you stressing out about finances, about what am I gonna do next? Um, He sees all of that. But not only does he see you, he's working on your behalf. In the book of John, the Pharisees are getting mad at Jesus and they're accusing him of um, not following the commandments because he was healing on the, he was healing people on the Sabbath. How dare Jesus do miracles on the Sabbath? Um, But Jesus told them, he said, my father is always working. And so am I. The Old Testament says that he never grows tired or weary. He never slumbers or sleeps. Like God is always at work on your behalf. So no matter what's going on, God's aware of what's going on in your life and he's working. Um, So God seeing you means that he knows, he knows who you are. He knows where you are. And lastly, he knows your need. So Hagar needed direction. Hagar needed to know what to do next. She was actually, um, the amplified translation of the Bible says that she was unsure on her way back to Egypt because she's like, I don't know where to go. Like, I'm just going to go back to what I know, which is what another aside, this isn't in my notes. So many of us, when we're trying to do something and it doesn't go the way we want, we just go back to what we know. But God wants to meet you right there. Um, so he, he met her and he met her needs. When she was lost and alone and afraid and didn't know what to do, he met her. She wasn't alone. She didn't have to be afraid. And he was able to give her direction of what to do. Go back, submit to her authority. I will make you, your child, a great nation. Um, she went on actually to have Ishmael. And there's, man, their decision to not wait on what God said he was going to do has ramifications today. Like there, there's, there's still ramifications of Ishmael being born all the way through today. It's just crazy to me that you guys just be patient. You guys just wait. I'm sorry. That was another, that wasn't in my notes. That was just an aside. Um, so he met her right where she was and he wants to do the same thing for us. He wants to provide the finances. He wants to provide the baby. He wants to heal the relationship. He wants to give you the house. He wants to do all of this stuff, but we have to get out of his way. We have to stop assuming that we know what's best and let him do what only he can do. We have to accept that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts and trust him. Um, I've seen miraculous provision after provision after provision over the last seven years and not a single time has it happened because of me. And now I can't say that I haven't tried to help God before because I have, but it always happens in a way that I would never expect. And like, I think of some pretty cool ways to like meet my needs. I'm like, oh God, you could do this. Like, man, that would be really cool. But like, he never does that because he can do more. Ephesians 4.20 says that he, 3.20 says that he can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. So your wildest dreams don't compare to what God wants to do. Um, yeah, the, the entire, the creator of the entire universe who holds everything together, sees us and is working on us. And we still try to help him. And I think that it's because we don't always see him seeing us. And this is the word that pastor Sean gave me that somebody in here needs to hear. So quote, so this is from God. There is a difference in knowing that God sees you in seeing the God who sees you. I'm going to say it again so you can hear it. 
There's a difference in knowing that God sees you and seeing the God who sees you. So that means you can have a head knowledge about God. You can know that he sees you like, okay, cool, that's great. But you still live a life that's scared and lonely and unsure and anxious and all of these things because you don't see God working on your behalf. And when you see God seeing you, everything changes. That's what Hagar said. She said, have I seen the God who sees me? Seeing that God sees you means that you're not just praying You're not just throwing up hopeless prayers, you're praying expectantly and you're looking for God to be answering your prayers. And it means that coincidences don't happen. I don't believe in coincidences, I believe in God-ordained moments. I believe that God ordains things to happen for for our good um, and for our benefit. And it means that your head, your head's on a swivel. You're looking for God to be working in your life and in the lives of others. And when you look back through your life at moments where God has like really been working, it's easy to see like, oh yeah, there was God working for me. He saw me then. Um, but it's a lot harder to, to see God seeing you in the present. But when you can see God seeing you in your present moment, it makes trusting God with your future so much easier. It it means that you can wake up another day struggling with depression and anxiety, but you can know God sees where I am. He knows who I am and he's working on my behalf to heal me. It means that no matter what the doctor's report says, you can live in peace because you know that God sees you and that he is he, he can bring you healing. It means that you can look for a house with confidence even when the market's crazy because God is going before you to meet those needs. And it means like whether another month has passed without a baby, you can have peace in the grief because God sees you and he wants to meet your needs. So no matter what your future holds, there's a a new level of faith that says, even if what I see with my own two eyes doesn't make any sense, even if this isn't what I wanna see or what I would never hope to see, God is seeing me here. And I know that he's gonna take care of me. So I want to end today by encouraging all of us this week to ask God to open up your eyes to him seeing you. Ask God, God, please show me you seeing me this week, if that makes sense. Like you, you open up my eyes to see you working on my behalf this week. Um, and when he shows you, because I believe that he will, he wants to reveal himself to you. Like that's, he wants to get closer to you. He wants those things. So when he shows you, write it down because those are moments that you can go back to whenever Satan is, is telling alone and Satan is telling you that God's never going to do anything, you can go, no, 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 no. Look right here. God did it. He showed me in that moment that he was working on my behalf. And so he's still doing it. He hasn't stopped because that's who he said he is. Um, So make a note of it in your phone or in your journal, or if you feel comfortable or led to like share it with somebody, heck share it with me. I would love to know. Um, Because I'm always going to shout it from the rooftops when I see God seeing me. And it's not because I think I'm, I'm special or I deserve it. It's actually like the opposite. I, I am messed up and a sinner just like everybody else in this room. And God still does it for me. So I know that he's doing it for you guys. And I want y'all to see him working on your behalf. So God sees you. He sees who you are. He sees where you are and he sees what you need. And so it's our turn to get to see him seeing us. So I wanna close this out in prayer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. God, you see every person in this room right now. You see their pain, 
their fear, their distrust, their loneliness, their addiction, their broken relationship, uh, the unmet expectation. God, you see all of it. And yet you still want us. You still desire a relationship with us. You know our name and you call us forgiven. You call us free. You call us a friend of God. We get to be your friend. You see where we're at, even if it's far, and you meet us there and you see what we need and you provide it. So I pray that you show yourself uniquely to each person in this room this week in a way that it is undeniable that it is you seeing them. It's you working on their behalf, God. Um, And yeah, man, we just ask all of that in your name. And if you're in here and you have never started a relationship with Jesus, this all applies to you as well. God sees you where you are and he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die so that he could have a relationship with him. So if that's you, you can pray this prayer with me and start a relationship with Jesus today. And that just means that you recognize that you can't do this life on your own and you want Jesus to step in and take control. And nothing about these words is special. They're just a simple articulation of a heart change. And starting a relationship with Jesus, it's not going to change um, your circumstances, but your hope and your purpose and everything changes. So you can pray this prayer with me. God, I know I can't do this on my own. I believe that Jesus died to save me and I want to have a relationship with you. In the best way I know how, I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.